Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, we looked at the first four verses last week. We're going to look at uh, verses 5 through 9 today. Um, I want to give a little bit of, a, of an explanation here. Uh, of course, first of all, we're in a letter that uh, Paul has written to Titus. Um, the letters of the New Testament, uh, many of them are written to churches where Paul is addressing entire churches. But here in Titus and in First and Second Timothy, we have letters to individuals. Uh, these are called the pastoral epistles because Paul is writing to some pastors uh, telling them how to do their duty. Now, that does not mean that this isn't applicable to all of us. Uh, we, we all need to hear these words. Um, why is a letter that's written to a pastor something that you all need to hear? Well, because you all need to be able to hold me accountable. Um, here we see this morning, we're going to look at the qualifications for a pastor. Now, that could actually cause me to do a, a little bit of shaking in my boots this morning. <laughs> of course, I'm not wearing boots today. But here I am, I'm, I'm teaching this morning, I'm preaching on how you are to evaluate me according to the Bible. Uh, and, and honestly, it's a, it's a kind of a daunting thing. Do I live up to this? Do, do I live up to God's standard? I mean, if I'm teaching you from the Bible how to hold me accountable, I, I could be in for trouble, couldn't I? Well, let's look at what he says here in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the, to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us, Lord, to see how it applies to us. Lord, that you would help us Lord, to see not just words on a page, but Lord, instructions for our lives. And Lord, help us to see how the gospel applies to this text. Father, I, I pray that you'd be with me, uh, weak and frail. Lord, sometimes wondering, do I live up to what uh, a pastor should be? Lord, help me this morning as I 
as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul here writes to Titus. He's giving him instructions on his duties and he gives him instructions on what the qualifications for elders or pastors should be. Let me back up just a little bit though. Verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Uh, Paul had been traveling, I guess, with, with uh, Titus. Uh, we, we know um, from Acts how uh, Paul had traveled with Timothy, and he, he left him in, in uh, Ephesus to uh, be the pastor there in Ephesus. Uh, we don't see so much about Titus as we do about Timothy. But apparently Titus had traveled along with Paul as well. And Paul left Titus in this uh, island of of Crete. And he gave Titus an instruction. He was to put what remained into order. To put what remained into order. As Paul was traveling through, he was preaching the gospel... And he was, people were believing and converts were being made. And, but Paul, he was just traveling through at the time and he didn't have the chance to stay there and to teach them everything that needed to be taught. And so Paul left Titus here to put what remained into order. What Paul didn't have the time to stay there and teach, Titus was to put what remained into order. Notice, it is to be put into order. Uh, The church there that Paul is talking about in in Crete was not to be a church of disorder. It wasn't to be a church where everybody just did their own thing, but they were to be orderly. Uh, Sometimes we we wonder why we do record keeping, why we we need a a church clerk, or why we have to have business meetings, why why we need to do all the things that we do as a part of church. But God wants a church to be orderly. Now, there may be different ways that we go about doing that, but the principle we see here is Paul, he left Titus here with the instructions to help put what remained into order. And so we should have an orderly church. And Paul here says his next instruction is to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And that word elder isn't the, isn't the term that we usually use in Baptist life. Uh, usually we use the term pastor here, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about pastors. Um, there are three New Testament terms that are used to talk about pastors. You see the word pastor. You see the, ter- the term overseer. Uh, also, in the older translations, in the King James, you might see uh, bishop there, um, where it says overseer, uh, or elder. Now, all those three words are used interchangeably to talk about what a pastor does. Um, here, Paul is telling Titus that he is to appoint elders in every town, as he directed. Now, One thing I want to notice here is that it, it, it has that in the plural. Plural. El- elders is in the plural. Um, is Paul saying here that there should be many elders distributed in every town? That, that there should be uh, an elder for this town, an elder for that town, an elder for that town? 
a pastor? Or is he saying there should be elders, plural, in each town? Um, I, I lean towards the fact that it should be elders, plural. Uh, that, that, it, uh, that he's talking about having a plurality of, of pastors. That there would be more than one pastor in every place that is uh, responsible for the spiritual care of the congregation. Now, we're not used to that. Well, we've just got one pastor here. Um, well, yes, that is the case. And in Baptist life in general, that has been the, the normal way things have, have been. There's been one pastor in most Baptist churches throughout uh, uh, Baptist history. But you know, uh, the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention, his name was William B. Johnson, he, he argued that pastor, there should be multiple pastors in each church. So it's not foreign to Baptist life. It's just not what we're really used to. Next, he says, he, he be begins to give the qualifications for someone who is to be a pastor. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of wife, one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Well, let's take these one at a time. He's to be above reproach. Otherwise, he is to be blameless, some translations say. He is to be somebody who there is no obvious um, charge of accusation against this man. Um, now, th there's always someone who might give some kind of accusation, but it is up to the church to determine whether that is a, is a valid accusation or not. Uh, we, we have to have a, a standard by the community. You know, I'm not the one who judges. Am I blameless or not? Am I the one who... I'm not going to be the one who says, well, I, I'm, uh, I'm above reproach. That's for you to judge me. Is our pastor one who is above reproach? The next one is a husband of one wife. Uh, there are different ways that people have understood this throughout the year. Literally, it says... Uh, a one-woman man. Uh, some have thought maybe that this is talking about polygamy. Is this, is this uh, saying that uh, a, a man who wants to be a pastor cannot marry more than one wife at a time? Well, that is certainly the case. But I, I don't think that's what he's getting at here. It wasn't something that was practiced at the time. Especially in, in uh, the circles that Paul and Timothy and Titus were, um, were in. So some have also said, you know, this is, this is a prohibition against divorce. Uh, that uh, someone who wants to be a pastor, if he's, if he's divorced for any reason, cannot, cannot be a pastor. And then you bring in the, the complications. You know, what about if somebody was divorced before they became a Christian? Or what about if somebody um, was divorced for biblical reasons? What if their, their spouse left them? What, what, kind, what, what about that? Um, there, there are those who, who hold to that, uh, that uh, being divorced would, would, un, would disqualify a person for their, uh, the rest of their life. They would not be able to serve as a pastor. Um, I don't hold that view. Uh, while I, I am married to Amy and we've never, you know, we've never uh, been married before. We, we've, uh, we, we, um, we met when we were young. We were married and uh, that's never been an issue for us. 
But I think what the view here that, that Paul is saying is a man needs to be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Literally, that's what it says here. That's the way the Greek is worded. We translate it, a husband of one wife, but it's a one-woman man. He needs to be a man who is shown to be faithful in his marriage. Maybe whenever he was 19, went through a marriage, maybe even before he was converted, and then has a, a, a long track, word, track record of faithfulness. Maybe a 20-year marriage where he's proven to be a one-woman man. I think someone in that situation would be not ruled out by this, this um, qualification. Then he says, and his children are to be believers. Now this is a difficult one. Does this mean that a person can't be a pastor until they have children? I mean, if we take it too strongly, I mean, if, if one of the qualifications for a pastor is that his children are believers, well, what about a person who doesn't have children yet? What about a person whose kids aren't old enough to have trusted in Christ? Does that mean if a, if a, if a pastor, whenever his first child is born, he has to resign until they get old enough to they, they profess their faith in Christ? I don't, I don't think that's what it means. What about a pastor who has a grown child who then leaves the faith? Well, some have, have wondered about that. Some have, have felt whenever they, whenever they have had a grown child come to that point and they've rejected the faith, they've walked away. Some men have doubted, am I really qualified any longer? Should I resign because of this? You know, I, I think, again, that's something that's in the judgment of the congregation. You know, as I was thinking about it, there are many different things that can lead to that. You can judge probably. You, you can, if a pastor is in a certain place and they, they've seen the man and how he's raised his children and, and they see that he has done a good job all the way along and yet his child, whenever they grow, they walk away from the faith. I think the, the congregation can judge and say, no, it's not this man's fault. He did everything that he was required to do and we ought not judge this man for what his children have done. On the other hand, there may be someone who... There's obvious other things going on. And a congregation may be able to tell that whenever the child gets to an age. And hopefully that's spotted before it ever gets to that point that a congregation would live a life with their pastor close enough that, that a congregation can see those kinds of things in the life of their pastor before their child ever wanders away. So above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. A pastor isn't supposed to be one who has, is open to the charge of living a wild life, unrestrained. Just going off and, and living like the world does. And this insubordination, I want to camp out here for just a second. A pastor needs to be someone who recognizes that he's under authority. 
It would be easy for a pastor to think, well, I'm, I'm the one who runs the show around here. How, how, should my, how, how can my congregation uh, judge me? Well, a pastor needs to understand he's under authority. Uh, I believe in, in what's called congregational church government. The authority within the church is seated with the congregation as a whole. Now, there is a, an authority that the pastor has as well. Uh, the pastor has the authority to teach, uh, to teach God's Word. Uh, and later here in the text, we'll see that the pastor is to, to give instruction and to rebuke those who contradict God's Word. But he has to remember that he's under authority as well. The pastor, uh, and, and as we're looking for someone to be a pastor, look for someone who's not uh, insubordinate, who, who has this uh, attitude of nobody can keep me accountable. The pastor needs to be someone who is, who is willing to have his life looked at and to be held accountable. Not to, to go off and, and, and rush and try to push people around. Next, verse 7, it says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. It comes back to that same word again, above reproach, blameless. We are God's stewards here. A pastor, an overseer, is to be God's steward. He's a manager of God's household. We ought not to be someone who people from the outside in the community look at and and says, well, that guy is a pastor? I can't believe... They let him be their pastor? He does, he does this, and I, I know that guy. But no, he should be somebody who's above reproach. He must not be arrogant, thinking only of himself, thinking that he's great and nobody can look down on him. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. I sometimes wonder about myself here. Sometimes I, I get a little bit heated. Am I sometimes quick-tempered? I think maybe this is the one area where I struggle with the most. I think that it's looking for a pattern of life. Is this person always... Quick-tempered. Is this person always um, somebody who is just always flying off the handle at every little thing? Not, not a part of the general character of the person. We all do sin. And uh, this blamelessness, this uh, not, um, not open to any charge, uh, um, above reproach, it's not calling for sinlessness. Because we'd all be disqualified then. But it is calling for someone who, who generally has the kind of character that we would want for examples. And when someone falls short in one of these areas, is it, is it somebody who's going to then seek rec reconciliation? Someone who's going to go to a person whenever they've been angry or wronged someone and then apologize and seek reconciliation? Not quick-tempered, not a drunkard. And I, I think that's not just in, including alcohol, but that's involving any kind of substance that uh, 
uh, would uh, affect and alter the way the mind works. Uh, not a drunkard, not involved in any kind of uh, mind-altering drugs. Not violent or greedy for gain. Those are, those are all qualities that a pastor should have. Not somebody who's going to be um, hitting people physically or verbally from the pulpit, using the pulpit as a weapon to lash out against people. That would be wrong. Not greedy for gain. Thinking of his own interest and what he can do to pad his own pocket. But is hospitable. Instead of thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. Is he somebody who opens his home to others? Is he somebody who opens his heart to others? Hospitable. A lover of good. Self-controlled. A person needs to be disciplined. To, to, to have a life that uh, he, he's not giving in and indulging in, in uh, his own desires. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. All these things are, are things that you should be looking for in a pastor or anybody who, who serves in leadership. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught. He needs to know the Bible. He needs to know the Bible and he must hold firm to it. And when, when people uh, try to push against that, when people try to say, well, why do we need to go with the Bible here? No, the pastor needs to be someone who holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And he has to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Some people wonder, well, why do we need doctrine? Don't we just come and worship? Not according to Paul telling Timothy what he's to do. Doctrine is important. We need to know who the God is that we're worshiping. Without doctrine, there is no evangelism. Because we have to explain the gospel. It's not just, this is Jesus, come and, come and worship Him without any kind of doctrinal parameters. We talk, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about the second person of the Trinity. We've got the whole, who is Jesus? He is fully God, fully man. That's doctrine. And grace. What is grace? That, that it's a, salvation is a gift to us, not something that we earn. That's doctrine. A pastor has to be someone who holds firm to the Word as taught and to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And also, not just giving instruction, but to be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Whenever false teaching arises, whether inside the church or outside the church, the pastor must be one who can stand up, stand on the Bible, and say, this is the truth. And this is not the truth. And stand that way unwavering. So these are qualifications, not only that you would look for maybe in your next pastor, but by the way that you would judge me along the way. And anyone that you would call to serve. Uh, they're very similar to the, the qualifications you would find for deacons in, the, in um, 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives 
pretty much these same qualifications for what a pastor should be. And then he gives the qualifications for deacons. And they're pretty much the same thing. They're all about character. They're about being a, a man of character. Now, I don't want to end here because I believe in Christ-centered preaching. I, I believe in preaching the gospel in every message. And, and right now, I feel like all I've done is preach a job description. Where does this come around to the gospel? Well, one point that I see that is here whenever it says that a pastor should be one who isn't given to the charge of insubordination. A pastor has to submit to authority. You know what? Jesus was one who submitted to authority. When that centurion came to Jesus and he asked Jesus to heal his servant, Jesus said he would go and the centurion, what did he say? No, I, I know that I'm one under authority just as you're under authority. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And he was trusting that Jesus could say what he could heal from a distance because he could just say and it would be done. But he understood authority and Jesus was under authority. He was submitting to the will of the Father in heaven. Whenever he came to the cross, he was submitting to his Father's will. So when a pastor is submitting to authority, he's following the example of Jesus. He's submitting to authority. Once again, these are all qualifications and qualities that we need to be looking for pretty much in any believer, not just in pastors. But we have to remember the gospel. We have to remember grace. There is no one who is perfect. I think anybody would say that, whether they're a believer or not. Nobody's perfect. We've all sinned. I don't think quite as many people would agree with that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. Whether you're standing to be a pastor or whether you're just here in this room, we've all fallen short. And we need forgiveness that comes from Jesus, the one who voluntarily submitted His life to the will of the Father, who gave His life on the cross so that we could live. So I think the Gospel is here. A pastor basically needs to be like Jesus. And he can never do so perfectly. We're always going to let somebody down. Don't put us too high on a pedestal. Only Jesus was perfect. And, and we're saved not by looking to a pastor and, and following an example that a man sets, but we're saved by trusting that Jesus did what we could never do. He lived a sinless and perfect life. Even the greatest and the best of men, the best pastors, never could live like Jesus did. Because it's all about trusting in Him and His finished work on the cross.
Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.